Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck, courtesy of Rain Man Digital. We are here, and you're listening to us live on RM Channel Zero. Hello, David. I got thrown into a (laughs) vortex. vortex. (laughs) The uh, engineers running the show obviously belong on lower decks. Don't worry, Rutherford will fix it. Because my mic completely just cut out in the middle of talking. I'm like, hello, hello. (laughs) Yeah, so right off the bat, we do belong on lower decks. Yes, yes. (laughs) What a shit show. Although, dude, that theme song is really growing on me. I dig it. to like it. I think it's my favorite thing about Lower Decks is the theme song. I saw some people hating on the theme song online. And I was like, what the fuck? Come <laughs> what on. What's wrong with everyone? It's good. It's okay. It's good. It's better than, you know, freaking. I hate to say it's better than Picard's oh, theme. Oh, it's way better than Picard's theme. <laughs> Where it's just this two-tone mode thing. Yeah. I feel like I want to slip my wrist after I watch it. <laughs> All right. So we will be live as much as possible for the next 22 weeks. We are talking Star Trek Lower Decks tonight, but we're also going to be covering Star Trek Discovery Season 3, and that's just around the corner. And if you want in on the live fun, text RMD69 to 50597 and you will receive push notifications when an RMD show is about to go live or if there's some heart-stopping edge-of-your-seat RMD-related news, like possibly an interview that I might have booked. Yeah. Ooh, that's a that's a dangler right there. Yeah, we might be opening up a live call-in channel as well on Discord soon. We will see. Ooh, I would love to get more listener involvement and see what you guys are saying about Lower Decks and Star Trek Discovery, because right now, if I want to find out what people are thinking about Lower Decks, I have to go to a YouTube comment section and just see nothing but fodder and toxicity. How how, how sad would it be if we open up the lines and everyone just wants to talk about, I hate Picard. <laughs> I hate Picard and I hate you guys. I hate you guys. <laughs> you talked me into watching it. Oh, come on. So, yes, this is the Lower Decks edition. We are going to be talking for the next nine weeks about Lower Decks. Yeah. And tonight we're going to be breaking down episode two of season one titled Envoys, directed by Kim Arndt and written by Chris Kula. Okay, so this episode had me scared for a long while. <laughs> yes, it did. The opening two acts or or so were very rough. They were. Because, like, they were trying, definitely trying to push the humor to the nth degree. Well, you can't push humor. Yeah. It either clicks or it doesn't. And there was something amiss during those opening couple acts. It was just not working. And I felt like that was very strange because, as 
our listeners know, we enjoyed the first episode for the most part. It was there were some bumps and it was not perfect. There were some issues, but it did show some potential. But then moving into episode two, I'm like, well, you took that potential, didn't use any of it. And here we are now trying to make our way through a bunch of rough jokes that just were not they were not catching. They just weren't working. Luckily, it did smooth out by the end. Thank, thanks to mostly in part to Rutherford. Rutherford. And said Rutherford was just the saving grace of this entire episode. Well, because Rutherford, as soon as they introduced his story arc, that's the thing. You followed an actual story arc of a character. What? What's and that? Rutherford... You know, when he got introduced in the first one, he had some of the best, funniest moments in episode one because he's he's not like bombastic and in your face like Mariner and Bulmer. The humor with Rutherford is very it reminds me of like data. A where, bit, yeah, where basically a lot of the humor that surrounds characters like data and Spock works for a character like Rutherford, because number one, you have a character that's dealing with these new implants that is that's in his body that's making him do things. But also it's kind of like he has insecurities. Yeah. He, and yep. Honestly, he's He's probably the most interesting character he's at this the point. Most interesting character. Especially after this episode. He's my favorite character after this episode. Yeah. Dude, when Ensign Rutherford was um scene where he was learning to be in command of a starship <laughs> i was actually dying laughing i was that that had me laughing more than episode one it did that whole entire sequence had me rolling and it was written superbly and that's saying something yeah. because i was already in a bad foul mood with the opening few minutes i'm like oh jesus this is not good and the fact that they were really able that they were able to win me over with a fantastic sequence should show people, David, that we're easy. Yeah. We're just some sexy little thing looking for a good time. All you have to do is flash a little bit, flash a little bit, flash a little bit. Give us something. We, give us something <laughs> and we'll love you for it. But long the, time. But when you take a look at envoys, the best moments is with rough Rutherford and a lot of the characters that they decide to pair Rutherford with get better character development than Mariner and Bulmer. Yeah. What was that next thing? Operation Smorgasbord. <laughs> I mean, that was amazing. The command crew, just because of Rutherford going through all the commands and seeing, Hey, I want to, I want to try this. I want to try this area out. And in that way we get to meet all the heads of the command of the Cerritos. Mm -hmm. Dude, I like the crew. The crew is like really weird, but it works. I mean, the command scene where uh i forgot it's commander ransom and yeah. he's trying to teach rutherford all the command things and every single time everyone's dying and it was funny and ransom turns to rutherford and says well that's never happened before yeah <laughs> and, and i'm like going i actually like the interaction that rutherford had with ransom to the point that i actually like ransom well i, I yes Everything was working except our two leads. Yeah. Mariner and Bomer were just not clicking. And I think that's a problem. They're obviously our two folk, our, our two leads. Yes. If we had to choose two, they would definitely be the two leads. Mariner being number one. 
Yeah. She's at the top. She's top billing. She's top billing. And I think where this episode faltered was the repeat story between Mariner and Bomer. It was essentially the same story we received in the first episode. Yeah. Instead of progressing the story in a personal direction like they should have, they left us at the end of episode one on a high note. When it comes to the possibilities of furthering a more personal story when it comes to Mariner. Yeah. But instead, they took us back into familiar territory as the previous. And and that's the thing about the whole Mariner and Bulmer storyline is like they constantly throughout this episode were showing you glimpses of them doing things. But the their actions never really progressed their characters. You, you were thinking that they were, especially in the very beginning. No, it the, was re, it was literally a repeat of it's last a repeat. episode. And it's then like Bomer sucks and is not good at anything, and yeah. Mariner's the best at everything. And I was we like, already saw that at the very beginning of the show. I was expecting them. Oh, they're gonna actually do something with this energy creature that has gone on the ship, and it's attached itself to Mariner's. Uh, we know that it's Mariner's mom mm-hmm. never comes back. Yeah. And I'm like going, what was the point of that? Yeah. It was, it was weird. We shouldn't have these problems. No. And I know this is a cartoon. I get that. But as we have pointed to during our previous discussion, Rick and Morty is filled with substance. Yes. There's a lot of yeah. dick and fart jokes and over the top gore, but that's just window dressing. At its core, there's a very personal, real story. Yeah. So you can do it. You can take the fantastical and the over the top and the slapstick and make it more relevant and give it a personal flair. And I feel like they have things set in place that they can do that. Uh, But as I said, the Mariner and Bomer aspects were literally repeat. You took the exact same story and just put it into a different scenario. Yes. But you're still doing the exact same thing and saying the exact same thing. Bomber sucks. Mariner is awesome. And the problem with that too, is like by the end of the episode, I don't like either character right now. I actually dislike Mariner. She's actually annoying. Yeah. Like what is she two years old slamming things like knocking food over consoles? Yeah. Like what are you a five year old? Like it works the thing I'm beginning to notice, especially after the second episode, Mariner is someone they're trying to make like Rick from Rick and Morty. Someone who's bombastic, who's, uh, who's yeah. chaotic, who, but it, it will win the day just miraculously. The reason why it works for Rick is because Rick is drunk 100% of the times during the episodes. Yeah. And we understand that he's, he's that way because he's drunk. And he's an alcoholic <laughs> Mariner. It's just, I'm like going, you're just chaotic for no goddamn well, reason. R- Rick is chaotic with a purpose. There's chaotic. What's the word I'm looking for? How can I phrase this? It's planned chaos. Yes. Everything he's doing. He's, he knows what he's doing. There's a reason behind what he's doing. And nothing's just because. Just because. Mariner is doing things just because. And I, and yes, we can get the idea that, again, I'm, I'm assuming this. I'm assuming this based on that little bit we got at the end of last episode. I feel like we could assume that Mariner is purposely kind of being 
just a shitty officer on purpose because she wants to get back at her parents for whatever reason. Possibly she lives under their shadow. Maybe growing up with a certain level of, of expectations has taken a toll. I, we already know that she's been demoted and put down to the lower decks as an ensign. So we we've already received all of that. We understand that. So there can be some planned chaos, but some of the things she does is she's doing it to everybody. She's not just doing it to her parents. She's, she's an idiot. Like she's supposed to be this smart, capable person, but she's obnoxious. She's an asshole. She's a flat out, flat out asshole. Yeah. And like, you know, I get it. They're trying to show Bulmer as this naive character and everything, but okay. Mariner at least should, there, there needs to be chemistry between the two. And the way that Mariner is deals with Bulmer, it's not making her very charismatic. Unfortunately not. And like, I'm like going, and, and some of the stuff that they did in this episode was like, let's just hand wave this. Oh, it, Mariner's good at this because she did this with this character way back when. We're never going to show it. We're never going to show it, but we're going to tell you. Well, and guess what? That's telling us, not showing us. It, it, right. And to just to go in line with what you were saying, Dave, Instant Mariner is apparently talented in Klingon combat and can speak Klingon. Yeah. So, yet again, another talent that Mariner has. She's perfect. How hard is it? Well, let me backtrack. Because she's essentially perfect. She's not interesting. And I scratch my head and wonder, how hard is it for writers to understand that we like to see imperfect characters? Yes. We want to see them overcome obstacles. We want to see them grow. It's the very basis of creating an intriguing character arc. It's called an arc. When someone is just perfect and they know how to do everything, is there really ever going to be any hurdles? Yeah. For and, them? And they had a silver lining in this in this episode, at least I thought at first, in, 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 at, toward the end, when Bulmer actually does the, the, does the thing and wins the day in regards to the Ferengi problem that basically got brought up. And I don't want to go into spoilers because I do think that I'm still in the boat that basically let's give it a shot, give it four episodes and see where we go. But like in this particular one, you have this moment where Bulmer finally has a win, but you pull it under the, you pull it from underneath him just so that Mariner basically wants to feel better about herself. And you make him look like a jackass. And you make him look like an idiot again. And it looks like, and and then you put the spotlight on her and how perfect she is. And I don't, I just don't get this new, and I'm not going to get into like social politics I, I just hate some of that stuff and I feel yeah. like it, it destroys Star Trek and it's, there's so much toxic right now, toxicity within the fandom. But there is this movement of late where you can't make women broken. Yeah. Women characters, you have to show them in, in a light of being near perfect and they have the ability to do any and everything. And that's just not realistic. People are people. There are great men. There are great women. There are shitty women and shitty men. There are people that are really good at certain things and some things they're just not that great at. But for some reason, the television and feature film industry, 
they have decided, they've all gotten together and decided that this is how they're going to paint certain people. And it just doesn't, first off, it's not relatable, number one. No. Number two is not interesting. We want to see characters that strive and struggle. Look at Seven of Nine. Let's bring it closer to home. Look at, look at Seven of Nine, for example. She was literally perfect. Was better than everyone on Voyager intellectually. And yet she still had to learn. She had to learn that her way doesn't work. Yes. Her strive for perfection wasn't consistent and realistic. And although she might know the answer to something, it doesn't mean she has all the right solutions. That's an interesting character arc. Yeah. That's an interesting character concept. You have a character who's perfect, essentially. And yet there are complications within that perfection. Yeah. That's how you do it. You have Wesley Crusher. Despite many thinking he was infallible, was continually doubting his abilities, suffered from lack of confidence, got rejected from Starfleet Academy, infected the Enterprise with Nanites tech, and pretty much caused an accident that nearly destroyed the ship. Just to name a few. Just to name a few. Data, also literally perfect. They found ways to make him struggle. His yes. inability to understand the nuance of humans, the human's sense of humor. Just to name a few. So these are examples within Star Trek. And the, and the frustrating part, too, just going back to this episode, then you go back, you compare the story that was happening with Mariner and Bulmer to Tendi and Rutherford. Rutherford actually fits. That, that whole storyline fits what you were just talking about, about classic Trek stories. Exactly. You know, Rutherford panicking because he's going to let down Tendi and doing like what he thinks is right and we all know that Rutherford, all of a sudden, because of the tech that's in him, can do absolutely anything. But because uh, because of who he is, he can't fit into those other categories like security and command and medic. He's happy where he is. That's where his heart is, is in engineering. And, like, you get that story, and I'm like, uh, by the end of it, I'm like going... That's an actual real Star Trek story. Mm -hmm. That feels like that's true Star Trek. Well, he's a character that has the ability to be, again, air quotes, perfect. Perfect. But they find clever ways to make him not so perfect and gives him hurdles. As of right now, I don't know what Mariner's hurdle is. Exactly. She doesn't like her parents. Her parents don't like her. Is she... <laughs> A 14-year-old girl and no one's going to tell her what to do? Is she an adult? It, it feels flawed. Yes. Her character fe feels severely flawed. And the fact that she takes up 60, 70% of the series yes. is a huge issue for it me is. right now. Until they do something to fix her character and start fleshing out those moments that we talked about during our last discussion it's just taking this show down in terms of what it could be in terms of quality so i'm hoping they do make some changes when it comes to that because her and 
her and the relationship between the relationship between her and Bomer is just not working. It's not working. Yeah. And I mean, like, you have the the other two characters that are leaps and bounds, I think, ahead of the the two leads. That's that's something bad. That's you know, if you're trying to tell us to t- tune into the show, your leads need to be front and center characters that we want to see. I don't want to tune into a show just because I want to see a background character. Yeah. And unfortunately that's what, that's what uh, Rutherford is. Rutherford is a background character. He's not the main character. Yeah. So I'm (laughs) hoping they do work out some of those kinks. We have another, what, eight episodes to go until the end of the first season. There's plenty of time to, I'm, I'm hoping as these episodes are being written and I understand the nature of TV, you're on a very rigorous deadline schedule and I'm sure there's not a lot of chances to go back and rewrite some, some issues that you may have found down the road, but hopefully as they were writing in that writing room, they managed to realize and say, you know what, this whole thing with Mariner and, and Bomer is just not working. Let's it needs to be fixed. Yeah, let's fix it. And I do know, according to an interview, I, I do know, uh, based on reading this interview that um, Mike McMahon, Mike McMahon, he did say that when they sit in the writing room, that they essentially sit down and write an actual Star Trek story. And then they go back and they add the comedic aspects. And I wonder if that's what they did with this episode, because honestly, the Rutherford stuff is a Star Trek story. It yeah. really is. And then you have the, chaotic craziness of Bulmer and Mariner happening around them. The only problem, problem, the problem with that type of writing is like, so it is, feels it shoehorned in. It's shoehorned You're going to go back and add the comedy. Now I get it. Second draft, right? Third draft, you go back and finesse and maybe that's his process. But also that doesn't sound like a safe process. You're going back and shoehorning jokes. I, I don't know if that's a great process. It'd be interesting to find out if they did that, a similar thing for Rick and Morty. It it, it would make sense because especially if you look at Rick and Morty's actual, the actual story, the actual story, right? it seems like they have this actual story and then you add, you sprinkle things in there like the pickle Rick segments and the, the, all the craziness of, all the side characters. The problem with that though is it's the side characters that do all the crazy shit, right? Yeah. In Rick and Morty. The story is around Rick and Rick and Morty themselves. Yeah. The craziness is all the characters around them here. The problem is your craziness is the main characters. The story seems to be centered around all the side characters. Around. Right. Right. With Rick and Morty, there's also a through line. There is a thematic element yeah. that had to do with family and purpose and belonging. And I and we picked up on that pretty quick on Rick and Morty on Rick and Morty. Whereas with this going into episode three, I'm not sure what their theme is and what their through line is. So I'm hoping that changes pretty soon here. I now, on a recent panel or during a recent panel, I should say, Mike McMahon had said that him and his supervising producer talked about how they craft elements of the show 
as a standard Star Trek series and then allow the humor to stand on its own, apparently. That's the exact phrasing. Yes. Uh, Supervising director Barry Kelly said he designs shots to fit with the style of TNG, adding it's only going to make the comedy funnier the more serious I take the sci-fi. McMahon revealed the scores being recorded just like Star Trek Discovery with musicians individually recording at home. That's all well and good, yeah. On the approach to the score, McMahon stated the music doesn't get to think it's a comedy. The music thinks this is a 40-minute dramatic episode of Star Trek. I like that. I like that. Uh, The characters end up doing funny things. Some plot lines have been rejected as being too dark or nihilistic. (laughs) <laughs> in order to keep the tone in line with Star Trek The Next Generation. Which, which makes sense for Mike McMahon because, I'm sorry, Rick and Morty is infamous for their for their nihilistic storytelling. Story hey, I don't think they should be rejected. Let, let them be creative in there. Yes. Guys, let them be creative. Let them do their thing. If you hired Mike McMahon, one of the writers of Rick and Morty, the co-creator of Solar Opposites, let him do his thing. You hired him because of that, obviously. Here's the thing, though. Do you think that, I hate to say this, but Alex Kurtzman and all them thought, hey, let's get, let's get Mike McMahon because he's the hot hand with Rick and Morty. Probably. And but, if that's but, the case, damn it. <laughs> just let him do his thing. Let him do his thing. Don't. Man. Obviously, there's certain things you don't want, like overly over the top sexual stuff, because this is Star Trek. Fine, you know, but let it be its own thing. Let it let it define itself without don't smother it in its crib before it has a chance to live. Exactly. Uh, McMahon also teased some elements for the rest of the season. He says reconfirmed familiar guest stars will appear in season one. There will be a holodeck malfunction episode with a sinister character, and that's in quotes. Uh, there will be a trial episode, calling it the Lower Decks version of TNG's Measure of a Man. Oh, God damn it! <laughs> Says there are more Lower Decks episodes with straight parallels to previous Star Trek episodes. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. Saying they're playing the greatest hits. That is not fun. Because that's specifically something I said I did not want during our last discussion. I don't want the fucking greatest hits. You don't want a parody. I want it to be its own thing. Yes. He also said his favorite parts of season one are the second half, calling it wild, with the last three episodes being insane with lots of action. Which sounds well and good. Sounds well and good. But the journey to those points have to have to take us there well if he says his favorite parts are coming in second during the second half then perhaps what we're going to see is exactly what we were talking about that throughout the writing process they figured out the show a little better and were able to work out those kinks yeah Uh, there were also some discussions about how the team's focus on keeping the show within canon has limited some of the things they wanted to do so they are trying to keep it within canon i don't know how I, i honestly don't with a show like this, you shouldn't really care about canon. I agree. And I'm a stickler <laughs> for canon, Dave, as you know. I get angry when you, when oh, yeah. you, you know, with the idea that, you know, I believe there was talk a couple years ago about not adhering to canon any longer, saying, why do we need to do this? I'm like, yeah, there's a reason. There's a, there's a reason. <laughs> Don't fuck up 50 plus years of story because you're too lazy. But actually, this leads to one of 
the quote unquote negatives or po- the the one of the one of the cons I had about this particular episode was like to me it felt like they were really trying to pay attention to canon and do all these things to to get like references mm-hmm. and only like hardcore Star Trek fans are going to know and I'm like going hey I applaud that great but how is that canon but how is that how is that canon you're breaking and- the fourth wall. And how how does that how is that affecting your narrative? Yeah, because if if you're just gonna do throw it out there for us to talk about, it's like hey, we remember that from. Well, for example, like uh, the one that I recognized right away was the changeling scene from when when they when Bomer accidentally shoots the wrong Andorian. Yeah, right. Changeling thing. Yeah, that's from Star Trek the animated series. That's a callback to that. That that changeling creature that basically was a shapeshifter, the shapeshifter, yeah, and that was a that was a callback to the animated series, and I'm like going, okay, are we going to get a, a, a continuation of this? Yeah, and you don't, and by the end of the episode, I'm like going, well, that was goddamn pointless. Well, dude, as I said, the Bomer and Mariner stuff were just well, were not that great. So along with the discussions about keeping the show within canon and how it has limited certain things they want to do, uh, McMahon revealed he wanted to include Star Trek Enterprise character to Paul, <laughs> but felt even though Vulcans could live long lives, she would be too old or dead by 2380. <laughs> no. <laughs> I knew you were going to defend no. this. <laughs> you are going to defend this. Mike, she'd be too old. This is where we have a time traveler time traveling episode. Okay, let's go around that fucking sun. All right. Mike, Mike, you can't bring T'Pol back. She has to stay within her timeline. Shut up, David. Don't ever tell me that. And if you brought her, if they brought her in, she'd be old and wrinkly. David, that's why I said let's go dream. around the sun. Let's find the closest yellow sun and let's do this. Let's have a time travel episode. Um, there was also talk of the possibility of McMahon wanting to bring in Wesley Crusher saying there's a character that's off with the traveler that I really wish wasn't so we can utilize that character. Oh, dude, that'd be funny. Well, I don't know why that would be off limits. If he's with the traveler, why don't you bring the traveler and Wesley in? Yeah. And have an episode about the traveler. (laughs) That'd be freaking cool. Unless the the powers that be. Don't want them messing with this because this is connected to canon in its own way. So. Should be interesting, right? It should be interesting. I mean, that's the thing. McMahon comes up with these really great ideas and I hope it, it it gets there. However, the number one thing I'm going to be thinking to myself is that's great. You're coming up with great ideas. What are you trying to tell me in the story? Right. What is it about? What is it about? Isn't that what we always say? Nowadays, yes. Because it is the most important question that you need to ask dealing with Star Trek. What the hell is it about? <laughs> yeah. All right. So Easter eggs. There's a lot of <laughs> you callbacks. No, no. These are ones that I would consider Easter eggs. One is when Mariner was dreaming. She was apparently dreaming about Khan. Uh, while Mariner is napping on the shuttle, we catch her murmuring, buried alive, marooned for eternity. 
When she wakes up, she says, I keep having this awesome dream. She's obviously dreaming about Khan's famous speech in The Wrath of Khan. Khan. I shall leave you as you left me. <laughs> I'm not going to do a Khan voice, but you get it. Uh, the Janeway Protocol. That was actually one of the things I wanted to bring up because that's doing, that's paying homage to your canon in a right way. This is how you do it. Yeah, this is how you that's do a it. true Easter egg, by the way. So we're not quite sure what it means using the Janeway <laughs> protocol, but the uh, commander, Commander Ransom, acts like Rutherford should know what he's talking <laughs> about. Uh, and then the article where I got this particular Easter egg from says, in truth, we have no idea what the Janeway <laughs> protocol is other than it references Captain Janeway from Star Trek Voyager. However, yes. because this holodeck simulation involved temporal rift it seems possible ransom is suggesting rutherford should have tried to use time travel to reset everything yes that's what i realized too when i rewatched it i'm like, like that particular scene because like i said the rutherford star stuff is my favorite parts of the whole episode yeah and the janeway protocol is like hilarious because like it didn't dawn on me until it happens and they mentioned that oh there's a temporal vortex in front of us, Captain. What should we do? And it's like, oh, no. Yeah, that makes sense now why you bring it and say the Janeway protocol because any fan of Voyager knows Janeway was the one who dealt with time travel. Yeah. All right, Dave, let's move into our RMD score and our final thoughts. It is that time. Okay. Uh, we will talk our final thoughts. Then we will rate the episode and then we'll get into some talk about the ratings how this show is being received and we'll see how things progress from there go ahead dave okay um my final thoughts on the episode as i said it has its bumpy moments but it has some really good moments too so my favorite parts have to be all of the rutherford things the thing with tendy was freaking funny i love the command crew now i hope that we get more of them I'm going to keep this positive and just say that I hope that they fix the Bulmer and Mariner dynamic and get me interested in their story because you're in two episodes. I'm going to give you until episode four to kill you. <laughs> if, if you gave me something bad in Star Trek, but overall this episode gets you're going to maroon a, them on a planet buried alive. Them on a planet. I want to maroon Shaban <laughs> on a planet. I will put buried alive. I'll put earworms in their mind. Yeah, let's put some conworms. Conworms. Can we can we maroon Shaban along with uh this writing staff if things don't fix itself? So, with that said, my score is a 70. Okay. A 70 on on the episode. I don't want to give it anything lower than that, but I do not want to say that it's hell yes or kick ass. So, and it's really tough for me too, because as I said, I am a champion. I, I want to champion the fact that we have to give this four episodes because that's what they released to the reviewing public and the reviewing public basically said all four episodes after you watch it is really good. Right. The big trades have the big trades have been us. overall pretty favorable to this series. So I'm going in this telling people, hey, give it four episodes. All right. So my RMD score is 
You're harder on it than I am. There's just really nothing a consequence going on. Honestly, you can take it or leave it. You know, if this was on Fox or CBS about 10 years ago, I would say, okay, well, this is something that you can push play or find on the guide channel. And it's your late night kind of trash entertainment. You know, this is your American dad. This is your family guy, something that you just push play and you just kind of watch in the background. But this is on CBS All Access, a premium service. And I just don't see this being the type of show that people are going to seek out and scroll and then push play. Exactly. I don't see it being that type of show yet. It has a lot of work to do. I felt like we had a lot of potential with how the first episode ended. But now moving to the second episode, it was really clunky during the first half. There was a lot of just inconsistencies. The structure was off. The comedy aspects were not clicking. And then it fixed itself by the end. So 60% RMD score. That's still a decent score on our RMD score charts. It's not get fisted. No. That'd be below 40%. This is Mike McMahon's first project on his own, and maybe he's not up to the task. I mean, he worked on, he worked as a writer on Rick and Morty, took over as showrunner for season four, then bailed halfway through, went over to Solar Opposites, worked on it as a co-creator with one of his partners from Rick and Morty. Mm -hmm. This is his first show that he's doing completely by himself. And maybe he's a good writer, but not a great showrunner. So, but we'll see. We're only two episodes in. We're barely, what, 55 minutes in. Yeah, exactly. So I am going to stick with it. And I do agree with your thoughts on the whole four episodes and how the top tier trades have been pretty much favorable to lower decks. They have been a lot more favorable than say the fans themselves. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you go over to Rotten Tomatoes, uh, fans are destroying Lower Decks, David. Oh, they are d- d- destroying Lower Decks. They don't just not like it; they hate it. <laughs> it has a sixty-six percent for critics, which is about average. About average. Thirty-four <laughs> percent from fans, Dave. And that's the thing. From fans. And this is the type of show you're making for fans. A regular person isn't going to seek this out. Yeah. Critics aren't going to seek these out. Regular CBS All Access viewers aren't going to seek this out. The people that you make this type of show for are the fans, are Star Trek fans. And if they're not liking it, you have a fucking problem. See, things like Picard will reach out to the mainstream. So if your f- core fans don't like Picard, then you're not going to be in that hot seat to where it's unbearable. Yes. The fans are going to dislike you, but because the mainstream don't understand the finer details of Trek at times and the nuances that make up Trek, they could shrug off issues that some of the hardcore f- Trek fans will have. And just be like, well, this is really good. It's about Picard. Meh. And they won't have the problems that many Trek fans have. Yeah. This is different. This isn't your typical mainstream show. My baby's mom isn't going to check this out. Exactly. You know, your fiance, Dave, isn't going to check it's this out. It's not going to check this out. 
and that's the, that's ultimately it. I mean, even even Star Trek as a whole, they need a win at this point because uh, they do. At, Dave. at this point, if you even look at the Rotten Tomatoes of Picard, it's favorable for critics. I'm taking a look at it right now. Eighty seven percent, right? Van mm-hmm. Van wise, fifty seven. That's not good, man. That is not good. That's not good. You're right. Trek needs a win. The fans a need win. a win. It needs something that the Trek fans can all rally behind. And if you want to compare this to Star Wars, we should, because right now, Star Wars and Star Trek are in the exact same position. Exactly. They are not speaking to their core fandom any longer. They're speaking to people who are not buying the toys, not buying the shirts. They're speaking to the mainstream people who just go see blockbuster movies in the summer And they watch certain TV shows on television, high concept TV shows. In order for survival, in order for a fandom to survive, you have to capture your fandom. You have to speak to the bulk of your elite audience. That's how a show survives because we're the ones who buy the merch. We're the ones who buy the DVD collections. We're the one who keeps the shows alive. And if you're not speaking to your fans anymore, then you have a problem. You have a problem. Discovery season one had its issues, but it was decent. A lot of the fans didn't like it. Discovery season two came around and it won over many of the naysayers. Yeah. Discovery season two, which was a much better installment than the first season. Then Picard came and it went down again, right (laughs) down the tubes. People hated Picard. So now we're in a position where. Star Wars was at after Last Jedi because Picard was Star Trek's Last Jedi. It was, I cannot believe you did that to Luke Skywalker. I cannot believe you did this to Picard. I cannot believe you made this decision with an iconic character. I can't believe you did this to Seven of Nine. You destroyed Seven of Nine. She is no longer Seven of Nine. She is essentially Sarah Connor with a chip on her shoulder. This isn't seven of nine. This is seven, seven of nine. nine has never been like this. Picard has never been a tired, beaten old man with no self-esteem who is completely unable to do anything on his own. So not going down. I don't want to go down a hole of negativity, negativity because I love Star Trek, always will love Star Trek. And I'm not going to ever be like these people on YouTube that just create videos literally every 15 minutes talking trash about Star Star Trek. Trek. I'm not going to do that, but I'm also not going to sit here and pretend there aren't problems. There are problems and we need to assess them and rectify them before it's too late. Is that fair to say, Dave? I think that's very fair to say because I'm with you. We need a win. We need to feel good. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to, I'm worried that basically they're going to wait till Strange New Worlds and basically start touting, this is the show that we want to give fans. Yeah, Dave, but if things don't shape up, if Lower Decks doesn't deliver, if Star Trek Discovery Season 3 doesn't deliver, if Picard Season 2 doesn't deliver, CBS All Access will not order Strange New Worlds. Exactly. So we need this Star Trek to do well so that we get more. Yes. So I'm not of the mindset of getting on the internet and talking trash. Some of these fans, dude, are so just bitter. 
bitter and I understand the bitterness, but it just deflates your own enthusiasm. A friend of mine sent me a link to this guy's review of Lower Decks and he's just not fair with it. And I do understand his arguments. He makes valid points, but he rips it to shreds and uses, you know, identity politics as his way to tear everything up, saying this is more liberal garbage, blah, 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 blah. And he does have valid arguments. But these people, all they do is hate on Star Trek. And it's not just him, dude. There are thousands oh, of YouTube thousands pages of that are just designed to destroy this current era of Star Trek. And I don't yeah. want to be associated with that. No, I don't either. I mean, I'm tired of being negative. I want a win as a geek. Yeah, please. yeah for sure. <laughs> All right. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.